Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Well, good morning. We, uh, we continue our sermon series in Jonah, uh, the running prophet. And uh, we've seen in uh, chapter 1, Jonah was running from God. And last week we saw him running to God. This week we're going to see him running with God. And so if you have your Bibles of your copy of God's Word, I would ask that you would open them to Jonah chapter 3. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 727. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, picking up at verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose, he went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of three days' journey. Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not be fed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them churn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. May God add a blessing to the reading and the proclaiming of his word. Running with God. Today's truth is that God is a God that forgives, but he is also a God that punishes. And this actually will bring us right into our first point of that of God's call. We see in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, fill in the blank for me. I'm sure you've heard this. God is the God of blank chances. How many chances? Second chances, right? I'm sure you've heard it before because we've, we've heard it over and over before that God came to Jonah 
a second time. And maybe, maybe you've experienced the joy of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. There's great joy to know that God is a God of second and third and umpteen chances on calls for repentance and forgiveness. Now, I remember growing up, I played high school football. And if you messed up, you might get yelled at. You might have to go run laps or you might get benched or, or whatever. You'd, um, if you did something wrong, you, you had to be punished for it. And I, I recall a time when a member of our team actually got kicked off for drinking. But with God, he is ready to forgive and he's abundant in loving kindness to all who would call upon him. God is a God that forgives, but he is also a God that punishes. And God put a call on Jonah's life. And he's put a call on your life as well. And the question is, are you, are we obeying God's call? Verse 2 says, arise. I can see Jonah after being vomited onto dry land and his face just lying there in the sand saying, whoo, I'm glad I got out of that mess because he was in the fish. But I can see him just kind of burying his head in the sand like that of an ostrich, saying, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Remember, he hasn't eaten or drinking anything for three days, but God tells him to get up. He tells him to go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. Now, this parallels exactly with what was spoken of back in chapter 1, verse 2. And God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And in this book of Jonah, we see several greats. We see back in chapter 1, verse 2, we saw a great wind, and we saw a great a great city we also will see here. We saw um, a great fish, and we see in this chapter a great city mentioned again in verses 2 and verses 3. And all of this is pointing to a great God who is gracious and compassionate and willing to forgive sins if only we would repent. And we've heard that the main character of this book is the great God who forgives sins. And so Jonah gets up, he, he brushes off the sand in his clothes, and he, he actually starts going to Nineveh, and he probably doesn't want to know what's going to happen if he doesn't obey a second time. And so Jonah goes, and he preaches a really short sermon. Forty days. And Nineveh's done. Historians say that Nineveh was anywhere from 26 to 60 miles long, and so it would have taken 30 days or three days to travel through it. But there's really no call for repentance in Jonah's message. It's just you've got 40 days, and that's it. Final notice. 
It's not even churn or burn. It's you've got 40 days and you're done. And the 40 days actually shows God's mercy. And the overturning shows of God's judgment. Remember today's truth. God is a God that forgives, but he's also a God that punishes. And the word that Jonah uses for overthrown or overturned means to turn over. In Hebrew, it's ne packet. And it can be mean, it can mean a city being overthrown, uh, just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like changed to its opposite. And we see that there is a great overturning, which brings me to my second point of man's response. And so, in fact, we do see that there is a great overturning from the message. We see the people, they actually do a, a threefold approach to repentance. First, they believed. They believed God. They believed that God would do what Jonah was saying, that God could and that God would destroy them if they didn't believe. Secondly, they fasted. Even their animals didn't eat or drink anything. Third, they mourned. They put on sackcloth. And in verse 8, we see that they cried out mightily to God and that they churned from their evil ways. And they stopped doing violence. And evil and violence have no place with God. And I would also say that racism has no place with God because Jonah, Jonah was essentially racist. And he didn't want the Ninevites to repent and to believe. He didn't want them included into God's mercy and grace. Now, why would the Ninevites respond so quickly to Jonah's message? Ronald Murphy says that in spite of himself, Jonah appears to be the most successful missionary of all time. Because we see that the whole city gets converted and avoids destruction. Now, many, many commentaries, including MacArthur, would say that they believe that acid from the fish's stomach would have bleached Jonah's face and thus validating Jonah's experience of him being swallowed by a fish. Now, interesting enough, uh, Dagon was the chief god of the Philistines. He was the supposed father of Baal, and he was known as the fish god. Dag in Hebrew actually means fish. He was known as a half-man, half-fish creature. And if you're familiar with your Bible, in 1 Samuel 5, just after the death of Eli, the Ark of the Covenant was captured and it was put inside Dagon's temple. And then the next day, the, the idol was fallen down on its face. So the Philistines, they kind of prop it back up. And, uh, and then the next day, the, the idol falls down again. And its head is chopped off and its hands 
are broken off. And you can't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Well, what's Jonah's problem? Was it just a sense of kind of national pride? Jonah doesn't want God to save or spare the Ninevites. And commentaries say that the the Ninevites, they were awful people. They were the Assyrians, and they, they actually filleted their victims alive. They were modern-day terrorists, and they hated the Jews. Jonah knows that God is a gracious God because we saw earlier that even pagan sinners repented and turned to the true living God. Jonah's mindset, I believe, is that God is the God of the Jews. And Paul asks this question in Romans 3.29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? And thankfully, Paul points out that yes, of the Gentiles also. And if not, you and I are in trouble because most of us do not come from Jewish descent. As Pastor Wes read earlier, chapter 2, we see one of the most important verses is that salvation is from the Lord. It's not just national heritage. And one greater than Jonah has come, Jesus the Messiah, he used Jonah as a as a sign of his own death and burial and resurrection to show that Jesus has the power over everything, including death itself. My final point or question would be, does God relent? We see in verse 10 that God relented or repented from the disaster that he said that he would bring upon them. Now, relent can mean sorry. Like in Genesis 6, 6, it says the Lord was sorry that he had made man. It can also mean comforted, uh, like Isaiah was comforted in Genesis 24, 67. Now, I'm not always a big fan of the New Living Translation, but I like what it says here in 3.10. It says, When God saw that they had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and didn't carry out the destruction he had threatened. First Chronicles 21.15 says, God was sorry over the evil that he had done after David had committed the cover-up with Bathsheba and sent disaster over Israel. And sometimes... Sometimes it's hard to to reconcile matters such as free will and the responsibility of man and God's sovereignty and predestination and election, which both seem to be in Scripture. And so it is the same with what does it mean that God relents. We also see in 1 Samuel 15.11, God regretted making Saul king. And yet in the same chapter, Samuel says that God is not a man and will not lie or relent. And yet we're told again that the Lord relented on making Saul king. And the meaning of regretted, relenting can also mean 
satisfied. But make no mistake, God is immutable. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you and I, we might have no way of understanding the complexity of God's emotions, even though he knew in advance that Saul was going to mess up, he still regretted making him king. And the same here, God knew that the Ninevites would repent. And so he also spared Nineveh for a time. And I believe it was Piper who said that having God relent or repent does not involve a change in his nature, but it is consistent and appropriate response to repentance over sin and even intercessory prayer. God knows the beginning from the end. He causes all things to work together for good if you love him. And we may not understand all about him or his plan, but we do know that he is perfect, even when bad things happen. Now, God kind of gives an explanation of himself in changing his mind and I'm so amazed on how the Holy Spirit works because I did not tell Pastor West on the song to pick. But if you'll turn with me to Jeremiah 18, 1 through 12 real quick, it's the potter and the clay story. Jeremiah 18 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house. There I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, and so he made it again another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make it. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you and mine, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down to destroy it. Verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced churn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if they do evil in my sight, that if obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return you now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And then one of the saddest verses, I think, in Scripture, they said, there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices. We will, every one, do the imagination of his own evil heart. As Romans tells us, they exchanged the truth for a lie. I'm here to tell you that there is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And he has overcome sin and death and the grave and intercedes for us on our behalf. What's the main point? God is God, and we are not. God's sovereignty supersedes our need to understand how and why God chooses to forgive sinners. For we too, we were enemies of God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive together with Christ so that it would be by grace that we're saved through faith in him so that no one can boast. Psalm 133 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities or sins, O Lord, who could stand? And the answer is simple. None of us could stand. We've done so much to deserve condemnation. We don't deserve the heavenly riches of God. But he's promised that we can have forgiveness of sins. Verse 4 says, There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So some takeaways from this passage. One, if, if God gives you a call, you better follow it the first time. God may grant you a second or a third or a fourth time to repent, but tomorrow is never a guarantee. But what is a guarantee is that he can and will forgive when you repent. Also, God knows all. He knows the beginning from the end, and his will is perfect. If God cares about wicked and evil people like Nineveh, you and I, who were also wicked and evil, should care about other image bearers of God. Also, you never know how quickly the word of God can change someone's life. I love what the king of Nineveh says. He says, who knows? Who knows if God would be gracious and forgive and pour out his spirit and compassion and forgive and heal? Who knows? Who knows if giving a track or a word of witness or inviting someone to church, who knows what impact a random act of kindness might bring to share about the love of the Savior. You can't underestimate the graciousness of God. What you say matters. The call for repentance, as we see here, is both one of corporate and one of individual repentance. So what is the message that God wants you to proclaim. Don't be selfish in sharing the gospel with people who you might think less worthy of God's grace. Maybe it's someone of a different nationality. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a Muslim. Maybe it's a person living in sexual sin. I don't know, but you are a Christian that is saved by grace 
And you too were sinful to the core. You were once an enemy of God, but God saved you. And there's a reason it's called amazing grace. So don't be selfish in sharing God's grace and mercy to others. Don't be surprised when God's word, even a simple verse like John 3.16, can change someone's trajectory for eternity. If you want something to change in your life, give it 40 days. It's said that 30 days are needed to form a habit, and ones that are good require hard work and determination. And maybe you want to change an old habit into a good one. If you want to improve yourself, then ask for God's guidance and help. Try to give up something for 40 days if you want to see a change. Finally, God's, God wants you and I to be running with him. He wants his name to be proclaimed among the nations. We're given a great commission to tell the world about our great Savior. And our mission is to tell others about the King of kings and the Lord of lords who paid our debt so others could know this great Savior. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 41, I'll finish with this. It says that the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But there's one greater than Jonah that has appeared, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. This is the word of God. And I say thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving sinners like me. Lord, you saved the people of Nineveh. And you've saved us who have confessed and have believed in your son. In his substitutionary death and burial and resurrection. Oh Lord, now even as we come to the end of this service, may it just be the beginning. Stir in us, oh Lord. Stir in us a call for repentance and and love for others that you wish to save to the uttermost. O oh Lord, conform us to Christ. Help us to live for him. It's in his name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.